I know. So now we can do the thing. Yeah. Are we legit? I think we're so legit. Too legit to quit. Too legit to quit. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> no, but it's funny. Alrighty. Mm. Let's do this. Yeah. Are we on? Yeah. It is. On like a prawn that yawns at dawn. Oh, I was just going to say it's on like Donkey Kong. That's the cooler <laughs> version. Mine was the, the Andy from the office version. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Which is the Cornell version. Yes. Mm-hmm. Should we... Oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was say, should we introduce ourselves? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm Olivia. Oh, yeah. Let's switch it up. And I'm Drew. And we are... Oddly Curious. Woohoo! And then the Law and Order sound. Bong, bong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that opening makes me pause every time. I'm like, hmm. But we've only done it eight times. <gasps> Nine times! Nine! This is our ninth time. Nine times! Woohoo! I feel like next episode should be something big because it's the first milestone. I think so. Well, to be determined. Yeah. To be milestoned. <laughs> yeah. What? No. What? Um, uh, yeah, that's exciting. I wonder if 10 is not a milestone for a lot of people, but for us, I feel like it's a big deal. It's just like a nice, good round two digit number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think it is. So. I think it's good. Thinking back already to my first episode and thinking, this is awkward. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I still am like, wow, this is awkward, yeah. but at least not that awkward. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I get overly aware of the microphone and I forget to be natural. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I've got to be on. But that's the thing about podcasts. You can just be yourself. Yes. And how is yourself? How are you? Myself is good. Um, yesterday I did some stand-up paddleboarding without the standing. Very nice. I did some sit-down paddleboarding. That's my jam right now. Mm -hmm. Not my, not paddleboarding my jam, just (laughs) sitting down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do like standing, but it's hard to stand on a paddleboard. I'm still not good at it. Yeah, I bet. And this is my first time doing it this summer, hoping I can do (gasps) it again because summer is already going away. Summer's like, blink and you miss it. And I'm like, no, you're my favorite season. Well, it's kind of like you get the summer FOMO where you're like scrambling by August and you're like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I'm like, I need to do all the things, Mm -hmm. but also I'm tired. I'm so tired. (laughs) We're just tired. Yeah. My, my favorite thing has been just like lizard time out on the porch in the sun, Mm -hmm. just sitting there with Henry and he gets really happy when I go out on the porch with him. So it's it's good for both of us. That's cute. Yeah. We've also been letting Greg be out on the porch. Mm-hmm. Because before he was kind of a cooped up inside door baby. Yeah. But we're like, oh, right, you're an adult now. So he goes out on the porch and stares at birds. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. We like to lizard time all of us. Yeah. It's like pretty much that and just swimming every now and then is my jam. <laughs> Mm. Mm-hmm. I still haven't been in your pool. I know. I'm excited. You still need to just come over earlier, or or it could be after we record too. Just okay. a day when I'm not working. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a new beach ball that I really mm. want to bring over, and I bought it at work because I periodically will work at the hospital, and hospitals have the funnest, randomest stuff at gift shops. Yes, they do. Yeah, and I found a big beach ball that's called Major Cat. It's supposed to be like, oh, it's Major Tomcat. Oh. And it's um, 
a an astronaut helmet with a cat's head inside. That's so cute. <laughs> so I'm like, I just, I need that. I literally saw it in the window and I was like, I would like this beach ball, please. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. At the hospital. Who knew? But other than that, no, I'm not doing anything. No. Just enjoying the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we can. Yeah. Truly. And we've had a reprieve in the hotness. Like it was extremely hot and now it's like mildly hot. Yeah. Or, we're like a mildly hot we're like a Taco Bell hot right now. <laughs> what is that? Oh, like it's not. Mild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that made sense in my head. Uh, it did make sense. Yeah, it okay. just took me a minute. I'm like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's me. And um, speaking of summer and water activities. Mm-hmm. What? Our episode today. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> Your face had, was saying so much and my brain was like. I don't know. I don't know. My face was saying, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, we're really excited because we both really like sharks. sharks, And we both really like Jaws. Mm -hmm. And if you know us, we really like um, Quint and Chief Brody. Yes. But not Richard Dreyfus. No. He's just there, but we, we just like Brody and Quint and we put up with Dreyfus. Mm hmm. I like how we're calling him by his real name. <laughs> I guess it's Hooper, right? Yeah, yeah. Hooper. That's Hooper. right. Um, and also, it's going to be Shark Week soon. Yes, which is why we are shark themed today. Yes. We made drinks, special shark drinks that are Baja Blast, Gre- um, Malibu, Malibu Rum, mm-hmm. Grenadine, and Gummy Sharks. And Gummy Sharks. And you put them in a cup and they all become one like there's no I don't know how people layer very easily I don't know I I'm not good at that I'm not a professional bartender no. so <laughs> I know that it's like there's probably like like viscosity of liquid and how mm-hmm. what's heavier than what and I'm like that's too hard for me I'm like I just pour it all together yeah because yeah. it tastes good just because it looks like mm-hmm. pink water it actually has mm-hmm. a lot of yummy things in it yeah it's I mean it looks like what the water would look like after a shark attack. A shark attack. <laughs> yeah, but we both have two floating dead sharks in our drink. We do. <laughs> they but die happy. The gummy sharks don't float so good. Mm-mm. But they're delicious. They are delicious. And then Olivia was kind enough to get us some lobster gummies. So we have like a a shark theme and then our Jaws theme because to me. Cape Cod mm-hmm. is kind of like where Jaws is, and that's a very Cape Cod thing. Yes, that's like my favorite thing that comes out in Trader Joe's in the summer is their lobster gummies. Oh yeah, that's a Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. Trader Joe's has the best stuff. Yeah, I was like, I think the first time I got them was a few years ago when we watched Jaws together, and we had rosé and the lobster gummies. Mm-hmm. That was a good time. We watch Jaws like every year, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Jaws time. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched Jaws this year. Me either. Mm. Last time, well, I did watch it. Oh, no, that was last year for my anniversary. We went to see it in the theater. I know. That was so <laughs> cool. I didn't get to do it in the theater. Oh. I still have not seen it in the theater. Because I know they will do that. They'll do, like, re-releases. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, my hometown, they would do movies in the park on a big inflatable screen. Oh, and they did Jaws one time, and I wasn't there for it. So sad. I would love to do it. I've seen where they'll project it at a lake or something, and people will be in the lake on their inner tubes. That would be the best. That would be so fun. In the water watching Jaws. Uh Yes. Knowing me, I'd probably be, like, freezing the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Worth it. Unless it's in the Caribbean. Yeah. Ooh, even better. Right? Yeah. Um, I recently watched The Fablemans, which is supposed to be Steven Spielberg's Mm -hmm. autobiography, sort of. Mm -hmm. And I, the whole time I was excited because it was like this young man becoming interested in making films. And I'm like, he's going to make Jaws. That guy. <laughs> he's right going to make one of our favorite movies of all time. Uh-huh. We're like, you. And every time he would be discouraged, I'm like, no, you have to keep going. For everyone. <laughs> For everyone. <laughs> For oh, childhood. Because if it's not Jaws, it's Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And Indiana Jones. I was just going to say Indy. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's a good movie, too. It is. All of them. All of them. Yeah. 
Well, did you have anything else you wanted to say? I don't. Mm -mm. So I believe I go first this time. <laughs> yes, you are the first shark. I, <laughs> I'm the first attack. Hey, what if you were to be any kind of shark though? What shark would you be? Um, so unoriginal, but great white. I know, right? They're just like wonderful big dummies. That's how I feel. I am. <laughs> I know. And they just kind of like have the certain expression on they're, their face they're that kind of look like, like ah. yeah, yeah. They either look like that or they looked kind of concerned. Yeah. Which is also how I look out in public where I'm like, uh... Yeah, my mouth is just slightly open and my teeth are like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, the shark face is not an aggressive face. It's just like a, uh, face. Yeah, <laughs> like if you didn't know anything about sharks and you just saw it, you'd be like, oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. Just don't look at his many rows of teeth. But, yeah. but he uses them because he needs to, because he needs to eat. Yeah. Just like everyone. He needs to survive. Yeah. Okay, so my story that I'm doing is one of the events that inspired Jaws, and that is the 1916 Jersey Beach shark attacks. I'm so excited. I don't know anything about this. <gasps> really? I've read about shark attacks, and mm -hmm. this was referenced, but I don't know the details. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. So my main sources were um, the podcast Inside Jaws, which is just really interesting if you like oh, Jaws yeah. or film in general. And so it goes into like some of the inspiration behind the book and the movie and then the process of Steven Spielberg making the movie. And then Encyclopedia Britannica, the entry on the New Jersey shark attacks, and then our good old pal Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay, so settle in, grab a drink or some shark gummies. Grab your closest shark gummy drink. And also... Like Maybe if, like, any sort of blood or gore grosses you out, maybe just fast forward, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, we got to tell it, so here we go. <laughs> so in the summer of 1916, swimming in the ocean was still a pretty new pastime, but this summer had a heat wave unlike any other, and the Jersey beaches were crowded with local people and tourists, and it was close. Yeah. I already have a question. Yes. Why is swimming in 1916 still a new pastime? Did people not swim in the ocean for a long time? I think so. I mean, I guess, like, if you didn't know that much about the ocean. Oh, and maybe people like, didn't know how to swim. Yeah, I feel like that was probably less common, Ah, like, okay. being able to know how to swim. Because that was not that long ago. No, it wasn't. Wow. We've yeah. taken oceans for granted. We have in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> and um, it was close to 4th of July weekend, and the local hotels were busy, and local fishermen were complaining that fish were nowhere to be found and there was no catches. And on this day, 25-year-old Charles, Charles Van Sant went for a swim. He was a stockbroker from a prominent Philadelphia family, and he was engaged to be married. He was strong and handsome, and he had a golden retriever named Jack that was there with him. Oh, Jack. So Charles swam out far into the ocean, showing off for his friends still on the shore. You know, he was young. He was good looking. He had like a bunch of his friends and some ladies with him. So he wanted to show off. He was for them. a little bit of a himbo. He, he sounds like he's a little bit of a himbo or maybe, maybe he was a finance bro. Cause he was a, oh, he probably was. So I think, but he sounded like he was a nice guy. Yeah. He was still a good time. He was still, yeah. <laughs> so him and his dog, Jack swam out into the ocean, but suddenly Jack started swimming back to the shore and he's, tried to call out to Jack, but Jack just kept swimming back towards the shore and Charles was like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay out and I'm going to keep swimming and I'm going to float out here. So, uh, he could see people on the beach shouting and pointing at him and 30 yards out from the beach, he, he started just swimming back to shore. And when he was 30 yards out, a shark quickly gained on him and attacked him. The water started filling with blood, and Charles fought as hard as he could with the sharp teeth cutting into his body, oh. and he was able to make it to the sand, and he reached out for help. The shark let go, but then grabbed him again by the thigh. No! So the shark was, like, kind of toying with him. Oh. 
And the shark was on the sand with him and holding on, trying to swallow him whole. Oh my gosh. And for some reason, he let go and went back to the water. People came and carried... He was embarrassed. Some yeah. people were watching. <laughs> He's like, oh no, sand, I don't know what to do I here. I don't know what to do. So people came and carried Charles away and laid him down on a towel. Oh, he was no. barely alive, and his left leg was almost off. A hole was torn in his side where his thigh had been, and he was bleeding and trembling. Oh, my gosh. And unfortunately, he did die due to his injuries. Um, numerous experts said that it couldn't be a shark, and they thought that it must be a fish or a freak accident or maybe even a sea turtle. Because sea turtles were known to snap at people or, I guess, attack them if they were threatened. But if so many people saw that it was a shark on the beach, why would people say it was a turtle? Because it was, like, so unheard of at this point that they were like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not something that a shark would do. Like, they must be mistaken. They're like, um, my best friend's a shark and he would never do that to (laughs) me. Exactly. So they insisted that sharks don't eat people and they said that the shore was perfectly safe. So then on July 3rd, 1916, Charles Bruder, 28, was the bell captain at the Essex and Sussex Hotel in New Jersey, and he was an incredibly strong and fast swimmer. He had read about the death of Charles Van Sant, but he didn't believe that it was a shark attack because he was an experienced swimmer and he had never come across anything like that before. Mm. He figured that uh, Van Sant had just drowned and he thought, well, I'm such a strong swimmer that that's not going to be a problem for me. Famous last words. Truly. (laughs) So he swam past the lifelines and the barriers in the ocean and he was just out there. Uh, floating in the ocean similar to Van Sant and then all of a sudden Bruder was lifted up and over the water by a shark onlookers saw a spray of crimson water burst into the sky and Bruder was dragged across the water left and right being thrashed and pulled under and spit out over and over lifeguards searched for him and saw his head bobbing in the water they lifted what was left of him onto the boat And he was alive but bleeding out. And he was such a horrific sight that the lifeguards started crying and some vomited over the side of the boat at the site. Oh my gosh. His feet and his legs were gone and there was a gaping wound in his side, in his side and intestines were sliding onto the deck from the wound. And Charles died very quickly, of course. I from, hope so. Yeah, that would right? Be, you would hope. That's or awful. Or at least I hope he was in shock and he couldn't tell what was happening it sounds like at least from like the onlookers descriptions that he was in shock and like he immediately bled out but i like that is so horrifying and like i can't imagine being one of those lifeguards and it's just like so horrific that you just burst out crying oh i yeah yeah the the years of trauma and nightmares they've had Mm -hmm. since and it made me think of that first scene in Jaws, mm-hmm. with the girl swimming. Yeah, oh. when he's like thrashing her side to side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which that seems kind of like far fetched. Like, would he really do that? But sharks turns out they do. They do. Yeah. yeah, I imagine it's a way of like debilitating their prey, mm-hmm. before disorienting they, yeah. them, so they don't fight back. Exactly. Which, yeah, that, I mean, it, it worked. worked. Yeah. So the response after the second attack was much more sensational and panic-inducing. There was a press conference on July 8th at the National History, no, Natural History Museum with three experts, Frederick Augustus Lucas, John Treadwell Nichols, and Robert Cushman Murphy. Murphy. They tried to allay fears by saying a third attack was unlikely, and the only ichthyologist, Nichols, advised that swimmers should stay close to the areas by the shore that had been installed after the first attack, they had some, like, netted areas with some oh, barriers. Because they're like, teeth can't go through net. Yeah, or at least, like, I don't know, it's <laughs> somewhat of a deterrent. True, yeah. <laughs> um, so people have deb- debated what species of shark was responsible for the attacks. Uh, they debate whether it was a bull shark or a great white shark. The scientists thought that a rogue shark must be responsible for the attacks. That um, he had just like gone rogue from his little group mm. of are they solitary? I think hunters? they're solitary. I think they're solitary hunters, but that he 
I don't know what rogue means if it's just like he's doing crazy things. He was had like been writing manifestos and (laughs) he's like humans are the problem. He's like I have a vendetta against people now. (laughs) Maybe. But um, several fishermen claim to have caught the Jersey man-eater, which is what they're calling the shark. That's actually a very scary name it for is. some reason. <laughs> if you don't know that it's a shark, you're just like, what is that? What is that? Because, I mean, unfortunately, because we know very scary names for killers, mm-hmm. it could be literally anything. It could. But when you find out it's a shark, you're like, oh, phew. <laughs> it's just a shark. Um, so several fishermen claim to have caught the shark, but on July 14th, Michael Schleiser, who was a taxidermist and also a lion tamer for Barnum and Bailey, oh caught a great white shark while fishing in Raritan Bay. It almost sank his boat until he was able to kill it with a broken oar. When he opened up the shark, he found suspicious contents that scientists were later able to identify as human remains. Mm. Schleiser stuffed and mounted the shark and put it on display in a Manhattan shop in Broadway. And then after that, no other attacks were reported that summer on the Jersey Shore. I want to know what happened to that stuffed shark. Did he just give it to his children? or? It eventually got lost, and there's actually only one picture. I think it was in the New York Times uh, of the stuffed shark. So I don't know how you lose how you, a right. stuffed shark, but I'm like, maybe someone somewhere has it, and they're just like, I'm not going to tell anyone. They just, like, see someone walking away, like, dragging a, a stuffed shark down the street, and they're like, oh, this is mine. This is, <laughs> this is actually my stuffed shark. I know. Uh, in a letter to the New York Times, uh... They, people were blaming the shark infestation on the maneuvers of German U-boats near America's east coast. And the anonymous writer claimed these sharks may have devoured human bodies in the waters of the German war zone and followed liners to this coast, or even followed the Deutschland herself, expecting the usual toll of drowning men, women, and children. The writer concluded this would account for their boldness and their craving for human flesh. That makes sense, because of what we know about sharks now is that they have such an abundance of food mm-hmm. for, like, as far as seals or sea lions. Mm-hmm that they don't go for humans unless they have already been like, this is all I have. Yeah, and they're like, oh, you know what? This tasted pretty good. Right? Let's go look for some more. Like it's a little gamey, but once you get used to it. Yeah. Um, still to this day, people debate whether it was actually a shark that was responsible for these attacks. And if it was a shark, scientists think it was actually a bull shark, most likely, and that the great... Instead of the great white, because the bull shark can swim from the open ocean to more freshwater areas like where the attacks happened. And in 2011, there were more studies in the documentary The Real Story Jaws that uh, scientists take a look into the lunar cycle during the attacks, the salinity of the water, and the type of bite that the victims received. Which I haven't watched that documentary, but it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it does. And then, of course, when we talk about the shark attacks, we have to talk about the cultural impact. Oh, yeah. So in 1974, author Peter Benchley published his novel Jaws, which of course was later adapted in 1975 by Steven Spielberg. And the movie makes several references to the 1916 attacks, the events taking place around 4th of July and authorities urging the mayor to close down the beach. And then Richard Dreyfuss's character even mentions the 1916 shark attacks when he's talking about uh, the behavior of the shark. And he references how in 1916, there was a shark that was just decimating the New Jersey beach. Yeah. And then of course, several other things sounded familiar, like um, the, fisherman that eventually caught the shark it kind of sounds like the scene with brody you know after i mean spoiler alert but also if you haven't seen jaws what are you doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) like after quint dies and it's just brody alone on the boat Mm -hmm. and he uh catches the shark i thought that too when he's hitting it with an oar Uh uh-huh in real life i'm like that would be so scary i know and no oxygen tank or anything just the oar took it out yeah, and but, then a lot of fishermen were claiming that they caught the shark. Right, mm-hmm. and it really was something else. Yeah. So, yeah, that is the 1916 New Jersey 
shark attacks and the effect that it had on Jaws. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I definitely recommend listening to the Inside Jaws podcast, but like I said, if you are like don't like gore or anything, I would say he goes into more detail than me, and because it's a Wondery podcast, there's a lot of Foley work, so there's like... True. Like someone screaming in the background during the story. Yeah, and it's not like the real scream, but... But it's still terrifying. Yeah. But they do such a good job on that podcast, because they also mm-hmm. did, um, like, Inside Star Wars. Yeah, and I think uh, Inside Psycho, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, Jaws is definitely my favorite one. Yeah. Definitely, same. And mm-hmm. we and we both really love Star Wars and Psycho. Mm-hmm. Except, I mean, we both love the original Psycho, and somebody I know that also feels the same way about, like, Alfred Hitchcock and all that, they listen to the Inside Psycho podcast, and it's hit it that scared them so much they couldn't listen past like one episode. Yeah. Was, was that, that me? You? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I was like thinking like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's cause I like, I listen to a lot of true crime, but anything about Ed Gein, I automatically skip. Oh, that is a major, that's an it. out. Yeah. So as soon as they started talking about Ed Gein on Inside Psycho, I was like, nope. You're like, goodbye. Nope. I'm good. I did that also. Um, Ed Gein is one and then Albert Fish is another. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can't do that. I, I tried and then I was like, I, I have the choice to not listen to this and I'm choosing Goodbye. I'm choosing peace. I'm choosing peace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (sighs) Gross. Yeah. Yeah, we're like, sharks are cooler than them. Yeah, sharks, they're just like doing their own thing. Like they might occasionally get a human, but they're like, hey, I'm just trying to get food, man. That's how they eat. I mean, they unfortunately, they are, they have so many teeth and they are not herbivores. They're not omnivores. Mm -hmm. They will eat anything thrashing around in the water. Yeah. Oh, also the part about the spray of crimson blood reminded me of the second do- second death in Jaws. Yes, I got yeah. that too. And I want to watch Jaws now. I know. I'm I'm definitely going to watch it later tonight. Right? I think I will too. Okay, should what? we take should I go right into mine or should we take a break? Let's take a break. Okay. So, for my shark story, Olivia, I am going to tell you about the shark arm murders. Okay. My sources for this story um, are a Mental Floss article by Michelle Dubjack, a Vice article by Stephanie Hughes, um, a little write-up on the sydneycrimemuseum.com website. I don't know if I need to say website and .com in the same sentence, but yeah, that's fine. Um, and then a book called Shark Arm by Kevin Meager and Philip Roop. Yes. Gets right to the point. Gets right to the point. You're not wondering what it's about. And so just um, kind of an aside, or I guess trigger warning, this, of course, has reference to murder, um, but there is also reference to attempted suicide. So heads up. Okay. So on uh, November, what am I trying to say? (laughs) No. On April 25th, 1935... A 14-foot tiger shark at the Coogee Aquarium in Sydney, Australia, was behaving strangely. It had lost energy, and the appetite that it showed when it was um, it had first arrived to the aquarium a week prior uh, was gone, which is kind of unheard of for a shark. Mm-hmm. It was moving sluggishly around its pool, bumping into the walls and sinking to the tank's floor. Um, it sort of swam like something was weighing it down. Poor it had, guy. It had a tummy ache. Yeah. With a sudden burst of movement, the shark thrashed its body and coughed up the contents of its stomach. When the foam settled, the crowd at the aquarium saw a partially digested human arm floating on the pool's surface. That is kind of funny that he was just like i have a tummy ache and he was like ow something is hurting my tummy and he's like Ugh. that actually would hurt my tummy too uh-huh uh so despite how shocking this is australians aren't too alarmed because that year in 1935 there had been a string of shark attacks especially ones that had terrorized the southeast coast where sydney is 
Um, and typically it was tiger sharks that were uh, the man eaters around Sydney. I love that Australians are just like not phased by anything. They're like, oh, yeah, look, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Australians, un- unfortunately for them, they are the Florida of the world because <laughs> yeah. I actually saw um, this TikTok the other day where it showed um, it was like a British golfer versus an Australian golfer. And it was like there was a, an alligator on the course and the first golfer was like, oh my gosh. And the second one, he didn't even, he had one hand in his pocket. He's that cool. Walked up to the alligator and like flicked its tail and it ran away. <laughs> and people in the comments were like, actually that is Floridians on a daily basis. They're like get out of my way. That's so funny. Yeah. So like between the two of them, they're not phased by anything. Nope. Okay. So... In addition to these d- deadly shark encounters in the area, the whole Coogee Beach already has a murky past. It's a part of uh, Sydney that has ties to a dark criminal underworld and can be known as being very violent. Um, in 1935, in addition to this, the Great Depression is in full swing. So a lot of people are, are out of money, are feeling down on their luck. And just a year prior to this, there was a horrific uh, pajama girl murder where a young woman's body was found badly burned. So speaking of all this, Sydney residents are feeling like they need a little levity Mm -hmm. in their life. And today of the throw up day of the shark (laughs) is the 25th of April. And this is called Anzac Day. It's kind of similar to the Memorial Day for Americans and Australians and um, Kiwis, uh, New Zealanders, observe it. Um, so that everyone has the day off. They are, you know, they're out to go have fun. They're, they're like, we got to do something fun because everything's sad. <laughs> so they go to the aquarium to see the new star of the show. And aquarium uh, proprietor Bert Hobson and his son just caught this shark about a week prior and they were trying to turn around the down on its luck Coogee Aquarium. Originally they had reeled in a smaller shark, but then that smaller shark was immediately eaten by a much larger tiger shark as they were reeling it in, (laughs) which is kind of funny. That tiger shark is like, ha ha. And then he's like, Oh no. (laughs) It reminds me of like star Wars when like, the other fish comes and eats the fish that's eating the plane and uh-huh. he's I mean the ship and he's like there's always a bigger fish yeah <laughs> Liam Neeson just shows up behind them even though it's 1935 and he's like there's always a bigger fish <laughs> uh so this is very exciting for them because they have a tiger shark and these are sharks that are attacking people so now they can give the public a chance to see these man eaters up close um and then the it was funny to me the Mental Floss article said the captive captive creature was a reminder of mankind's dominion over the seas. And I'm thinking, I don't think mankind has ever had a dominion over the sea. No, that's really cute. <laughs> that is they cute. Think that, but I mean, I mean, I guess like with you know catching fish to eat, but I'm like the ocean will mess you up. The ocean's like, if you cross me, I will just swallow you right I'll up. Swallow you up. Okay. However, this now captive tiger shark had just vomited up an appendage and a human arm, no less. And this human arm was curious looking because it had a boxer tattoo and rope tied around the wrist. All right. And um, Narcisse Leo Young, who was a proof, who I guess at the time when they interviewed him for the book, Um, he was a proofreader for the Sydney Herald. He was there that day as a boy. Um, actually, I don't know if that's a boy or girl's name. I didn't ever look up what they looked like. It could go either way. Kind of like my name where you're like, I don't know. (laughs) So they were there that day. Um, and they said, I was three or four meters from the shark and clearly saw come out of his mouth, a copious brown froth, which smelled really foul. No, they could smell it. Yeah. Oh, God. So, it, oh, all of it together. And in addition to the sh- to the arm, the shark expelled a bird, a rat, and a load <laughs> of muck. Just that visual. 
Oh, I don't know why I'm laughing. Do <laughs> you like that? It was like the arm. They're like, oh, okay. And then the smell, they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so of course there's now an arm in the pool. So the police were called and the police were at first convinced that the shark arm was a prank either by the staff themselves or by local medical students who have access to spare cadaver parts. Just a severed arm prank. Yeah. They're like those crazy kids. But no one was laughing as the arm with the tattoo and the suspicious rope was fished from the water and brought to the coroner's office. As the incident became more unsettling because further details emerged as the coroner reported that the arm was not bitten off by a shark, but cleanly cut off with a knife, Mm. which meant the shark had vomited the remains of an innocent party and an apparent murder. Yeah. So... Um, Edwin Smith was reading about what had happened just a few days later, uh, in the paper about the Coogee Aquarium shark arm. And he came across a detail that made him pause a description of the distinctive tattoo branding the arm covered, uh, recovered from the pool on the victim's forearm. It depicted two boxers facing each other. Smith immediately thought of his brother, Jim, who had the same image tattooed in the same place and who had been missing for several weeks. Ooh, that's so sad. Yeah. So this tattooed arm shed light on the mystery of Jim Smith's disappearance. Edwin called up to tip the police, as did Jim's wife, Gladys, connecting the tattoo and the limb to his missing brother and Gladys's missing husband. Law enforcement officers also had the victim's fingerprints because they were using a new forensic technique. 1935, that's pretty cool. Okay. They were able to match the hand to Smith as he was uh, had his fingerprints on file because he was a known criminal and former police informant. Oh. And now he was the victim of foul play. So Jim Smith was a 45-year-old English-born um, Australia resident. And before his criminal life, he wanted to be a boxer, but he was forced to leave his dream and this is very relatable. He was forced to leave his dream behind because it was clear he didn't have talent for the sport. Oh. I'm like, <laughs> I've been there, Jim. Not for boxing, but for many other things. He's like, here's my life plan. And they're like, no, it's not. No, no I'm sorry, Jim. So he went from job to job where he landed work in a pub where he started developing connections with the criminal underworld. And one of these connections was to a wealthy boat building businessman named Reginald Holmes. And Reginald Holmes, Holmes, um, he was a man of many titles. In addition to being a well-loved family man and respected member of society who gave back to the community through church donations, which it's like, oh, he's so amazing. He's actually an active heroin smuggler. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> and, right? And an insurance and business fraud mastermind. He employed Jim Smith to carry out different tasks like cheating um, construction workers of building supplies and then over insuring properties before um, destroying it through arson. Nice. Nice. Um, One of uh, Reginald Holmes' uh, most infamous cons um, involved the destruction of an over-insured yacht called the Pathfinder. So in addition to recruiting Smith, he also recruited an ex-convict named Patrick Brady, who had a talent for forgery, and it was said he had been picked up for forging signatures of generals in World War I, which is like, <laughs> wow, shoot for the moon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so these two were tasked with sinking the Pathfinder, and after it sank, Reginald Holmes went to file a claim for the damages, but then he found out that Jim Smith had reported the incident to the police as suspicious. So uh, Holmes had to pay for everything out of pocket, which was hard during Mm -hmm. the Great Depression. He also should not have been doing it in the first place, but whatever. Um, And this led to, obviously, a falling out between the two men, and this was exacerbated when Jim started to blackmail Holmes. So our little boxer tattoo boy was... He was going for the, the big guns. Yeah, because always blackmail the, the heroin smuggler. Yeah, that's... Okay, if you're going to do... Okay, first of all, don't do drugs. Don't blackmail. But if you're going to 
blackmail someone, don't blackmail someone who's been in crime much longer than you. Seriously. That's just a rule of thumb. So, several weeks before this shark uh, throws up this arm, on April 7th, um, Smith told his wife that he was going fishing. A few restless, restless nights later, his wife became so worried and agitated that she didn't know what to do. One night she received a mysterious call from a man and he said, quote, don't worry, Jimmy will be home in three days time. Unquote. <laughs> Jimmy did not make it home. No, <laughs> no. In fact, Jim was seen last drinking and playing cards with Patrick Brady, our forger, mm -hmm. at the Cecil Hotel what? in Cronulla, a suburb of Sydney. That's so weird. Yeah, I don't think Cecil Hotel has a good... Like, that's just a name that is bad no matter where you are in yeah. the world. What if it was like they had a chain and they were all terrible? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like... Um, like the Holiday Inn, but it's the Cecil Hotel, and it just <laughs> inspires so much sadness. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So as the night progressed, Jim and Patrick, they're having fun, drinking, playing cards. They relocate to a cottage that Brady was renting on Tolombi Street. Several hours later, a disheveled-looking Brady took a cab from his cottage to Reginald Holmes' house. Smith was no longer with him. Mm. They were going like, to be like, hey, we should go, you know, let's have a fun sleepover. I don't know what men do. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, let's go drink at my house. Hey, bestie. Hey, bestie. And then it was like, ooh, nope, that was not good. No. So because police know about Jim Smith's ties to Reginald Holmes and Patrick Brady, they had two obvious suspects mm -hmm. already. In addition to this, because Jim was a police informant, they knew of Smith blackmailing Holmes, which is terrible. Um, but the case was far from closed. They did not have any hard evidence necessary to make arrests in connection to Smith's disappearance. But as they began investigating, they decided to follow any moves Brady made up to the days of the disappearance. So they found... Uh, taxi drivers who are willing to discuss trips he made, uh, talking to uh, those who he rented the cottage from. And one of the last trips he made blindsided investigators because they found that he went to Reginald's home, which it's like, until now, they did not know that Holmes and Brady knew each other. They thought they were just, Jim was what they had in common. Mm -hmm. But it was like, oh, this is a trifecta of not good. Yeah. So they moved to get Brady. And they could only bring him in on forgery charges unrelated to the crime. It was said it took cops six hours of interrogation to get him to confess what they already suspected, that Reginald Holmes was the mastermind behind the entire plot. Holmes, however, somehow heard the police were on to him. <laughs> because by the time the authorities arrived at his house, he was on a speedboat in the middle of Sydney's Harbor, drinking and driving. Goodbye. Yeah. He's like, not only am I going to drive away, but he, it said he grabbed a bottle of liquor and was drinking it while steering his boat. <laughs> because, yeah. Cause he sounds like someone that makes good decisions. Yeah. He's like, if I'm going out, this is how I'm going. Out. Exactly. At one point, he stopped the boat and rose before a group of spectators who were gathering to watch the chase. Reginald uttered a nonsensical warning, quote, Jimmy Smith is dead and there's only one another left. If you leave me until tonight, I will finish him. Then he shot himself in the head and fell into the water. What? I don't think you're going to finish him, bud. He's like, I was just joking. It's for a dramatic effect. <laughs> he was like, I'm very dramatic. So it looked like the case had come to a dead end, but Holmes survived. What? Yeah. The bullet left him with a non-fatal wound to his forehead, and he was able to haul himself back into the boat. So after this dramatic chase, the cops finally arrested him and dragged a confession out of him that would prove, uh, or tried to drag a confession out of him, but that was more difficult than him trying to kill himself. However, he did identify Brady as Smith's murderer and painted himself instead as the victim of blackmail. According to his story, P 
Patrick Brady had acted alone while killing and dismembering Jim Smith in his cottage on Tolumbi Street. He allegedly dumped most of the body parts in the sea but held onto the arm as a threat to Holmes. In his version of events, Brady brought the limb to Holmes' house and warned him that he would be next if he didn't give him a generous amount of money. Holmes held onto the arm and then claimed, which I'm like, why was he keeping it? I don't know. But he claimed he panicked and got rid of the arm by tossing it in the ocean where then the shark swallowed it whole. It sounds like a lot of like, and then, and then I did this, but then I didn't know what to do. So I did this. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that tracks is the throwing it in the ocean. Cause obviously mm-hmm. the shark did swallow it. Yeah. He's like, actually the shark murdered him. I don't know why <laughs> the shark was so nice at first. And the shark used a saw. I guess. He didn't bite. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so regardless of how truthful this story was, investigators concluded that the arm was likely consumed after being disposed of in the ocean, like you said. That's the most obvious point. And the timeline did make sense. Um, Tiger sharks have a slow digestive tract, and the arm could have been sitting in the animal's stomach for up to 18 days before it was thrown up. So it's like whatever... I mean, I'm guessing it's like um, a way for them to... If they don't have like access to a lot of food, they mm-hmm. can just keep it in their stomach. But yeah. 18 days to digest something, that's a, a powerful digestive tract. Like yeah. that really keeps things intact. It still had a tattoo after that long. I know. The fact that they could like make out the whole tattoo. Yeah. That's kind of impressive. It's even possible that the arm was inside the first smaller shark that Bert Hobson <laughs> caught before the tiger shark ate the smaller shark. Which this article, I think it was the Vice article, said, creating a very unappetizing version of turducken. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you put an arm inside a shark, and then you put that shark inside of another shark. I just imagine, like, the tiger shark is like, man, what did this guy eat? Yeah, like, I don't feel good. Like, uh, clearly he digested the first shark, Mm -hmm. but what was inside that shark was like, (laughs) gross. Okay. So the question of how... Um, the arm was separated from Smith's body in the first place was what remained unanswered. So obviously his arm was in a shark, but how did it actually get there and why? Why did somebody cut his arm off and who did it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so while they're doing all this investigating, on June 11th, 1935, Holmes withdrew 500 uh, Australian dollars. It said pounds, but I think it was probably dollars from his account and late that evening left home he told his wife he had to meet someone he was also very cautious as he left his home accompanying his wife to the door of his sedan early the next morning the day of the inquest he was meant to attend he was found dead in his car uh on hickson road where his home was he had been shot three times at close range The crime scene was made to appear that Holmes had committed suicide, but forensic police had no doubt that he was murdered. Yeah, he was shot three times. Uh Uh-huh. It said the insurance policy would have been voided if he died by suicide, so it's like he used this skill to make it look like, obviously, he he didn't kill himself, Mm -hmm. but he just was thinking about his family, you know, because he was such a nice guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Holmes... Could not give any uh, evidence of the inquest later that morning. So clearly it was like he was guilty. It was his last, his last uh, hurrah. Mm-hmm. Patrick Brady survived to see his murder trial, but it wasn't an open and shut case because they suffered without Holmes' witness testimony and the physical evidence they had was less incriminating than it seemed. One arm wasn't proof of a murder, the defense argued, and it wasn't right to convict a man of the crime when it was possible Smith had survived. Brady was acquitted of the charges and maintained his innocence until his death at 76 years old in 1965. And it said that Smith and Holmes weren't the only casualties of the shark arm case because shortly after dis, um, this is disgorging, that's a nice way of saying throwing up the arm, the tiger shark from the Kuji Aquarium was killed and cut open. The oh. autopsy turned out to be a waste as it didn't have any additional body parts or answers. So it was like he was killed. Oh. 
Just he, just wait for him to regurgitate other stuff. I know. He was doing fine. He just didn't He have just a, had a tummy ache. Yeah. Um, though much has been clarified since that day at the Coogee Aquarium in 1935, we will likely never know the full story of what happened that night of Jim Smith's disappearance. And if new evidence does emerge in the case, chances are slim as it will overshadow the story's dramatic, messy beginnings in the public consciousness. And that is the story of the shark arm murders. That was very interesting. Right? <laughs> yes. I, I kind of remember some of the details about this case, but I forgot about a lot of it. I definitely yeah. forgot about the shark in the aquarium. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that shark. Poor thing. Rest in peace, little shark. I know. I'm like, don't blame the sharkies. It's not their no, fault. It's not their fault. No. They just have cold eyes like doll's eyes. <laughs> As Quint like would say. Like a doll's eyes. Yeah. <sighs> I really held back with trying to do an Australian accent with that, with that story. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Jimmy Smith is dead. And this tiger shark killed him. I don't know. Can you imagine if I tried to do a Jersey accent in mine? It would have been so bad. Or good. No, I've tried before. It's, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that would be, I, I, I can imagine that Jersey could so easily become like Brooklyn mm -hmm. could so easily suddenly be Boston. Yeah. They're very like dissimilar, but also similar enough that I'm like, I can't always tell the difference. Yeah. And that would just make people be like, are you kidding me? That's a Boston accent or whatever. And if we had any New Jersey listeners, I would offend them. Yeah. Which maybe we do. I maybe know. we do. That'd be nice. I hope, I hope someone, oh, we, we have at least one Australian listener, my friend, Anjali. Yeah. I think in Melbourne. Seen, uh, on our map that we actually have several. Oh, very good. Thank you, Australia. Yes. I hope you enjoyed the first fully Australian tale. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Also, we're still trying to figure out the best way to sign off this podcast. That's a work in progress. Yeah. If you have any suggestions, please feel free yeah. to give them to us. Cause every time we kind of just start rambling at the end, <laughs> which is kind of true to who we are. It is. Yeah. We're like, Oh, I had another thought. Oh, and here we go. Yeah. But do you have anything you'd like to add before next time? Um, be careful in the ocean and don't swim out too far for many reasons. For many reasons. And be nice to sharks and appreciate them for what they are. Yeah. They're not the enemy. Mm -mm. They just have a lot of teeth. Yeah. And maybe watch some Shark Week or some Jaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, maybe uh, like, review, and subscribe our podcast if you want. Yeah. And... Uh, buy some of our merch yeah we have like. we have merch on redbubble oddly curious pod is the name of um the store i guess mm -hmm. there is we have an instagram and a tiktok now oddly curious pod and oddly curious pod <laughs> <laughs> and then we have oddly curious podcast at gmail.com if you would like to email us whatever you want maybe you can tell us that um uh you like sharks yeah. anything you want Tell us a shark fact. Why not? We love shark facts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. On that note, be curious and be kind. <laughs> and we're going to need a bigger boat. And we're going to need a big, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>